Welcome to the EMS Educator Podcast, powered by Prodigy EMS. Join us for relevant, high-quality discussions around the best practices in EMS education. You'll find interviews with experts in EMS, education, simulation, medical direction, leadership, and more. Welcome back to another edition of the EMS Educator Podcast, and we're going to talk about learning, whether it's TED, whether it's Zooms, whether it's LMSs, whether it's YouTubes, whether it's podcasts, whether it's vodcasts, whether it's TikToks and things I haven't even thought of. There's so many ways that you can get your education in. But in order to discuss that, I'm going to bring in my amazing co-host, who's going to introduce our guest today. Hilary, how are you? Doing great, Rob. Really great to be here today. Excited for another episode. We are joined today by Benji McCollum. He's a fabulous EMS educator who has made the rounds on social media and conferences, and uh, we got a hold of him for the podcast. And we also have today Dr. Maya Dorsett, Prodigy's medical director, also an amazing educator. We're super happy to be able to get their input today on ideas for lesson plans and for using multimedia. Benji, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Hey, uh, it's great to be here. I'm a paramedic as well as a registered nurse. I've been in the career field for probably 17 years now and have dabbled over into the educational side in the last five or six years formally. And now I'm here running a paramedic program in South Carolina. Just running a paramedic program. I think that's more than dabbling. Tell us about your experiences in the classroom. What are you finding to be successful? What do you like teaching? What are your students like? So some of the things that our students have come across with really liking, and I'm glad we have Maya on here today too, because is a well-involved medical director. Our program has one of those, and I've heard it referred to before as the milk carton medical director, who is what a lot of programs have, of the ones that they never see except on the side of the milk carton for the missing picture. That has been continuously a rave of our program of having the involvement of a medical director who can come in and go over cases with them or present a difficult topic. Uh, for our class, we use our medical director quite often to teach some of those high risk skills of trachs, RSI, or just some of the recent things that we've done. Even when we get into cardiac, he'll discuss things like the STEMI mimics and going well beyond of what your textbook actually has in there for entry level providers. That's great. We all love an involved medical director. Maya, what do you do with your agency as the medical director? How much teaching do you do? What's what's important to you in the classroom? So from the perspective of initial paramedic education, I try and actually focus my energy on being there to help with situations where they're learning clinical judgment. So one of the most important things to me is being there when they're doing their simulation and I help write their out-of-hospital scenarios because I think that those are their opportunities to really apply what they've learned in the classroom. I also do an evidence-based medicine curriculum that is case-based for the students. And I think that particular part is important because it lets me highlight the things that we do and do not know and why we do the things that we do, but the emphasis that it's not because a medical director says so or because it's a protocol, but that those things should be advanced based on research. Can you give an example of a recent or successful lesson plan where you used evidence-based medicine to teach the students either a skill or a procedure or even just clinical judgment? So I can talk a little bit about our evidence-based medicine curriculum, which is actually something that I expand a little bit on every single year. 
So currently, uh, what that covers is several uh, clinical conditions that are really important in pre-hospital care, but each one is also focused on teaching some tenant of evidence-based medicine. So beyond like an introduction of, you know, this is how research is done and this is some basic statistics, I want to put it in the context of clinical care because I'm not unrealistic that I think every one of my students is going to go be calculating, you know, absolute risk reductions and number needed to treat and sensitivity and specificity when they leave. But it's important that they understand what that means and what that means for the care that they provide. So I have a curriculum that involves things like PCI for STEMI, CHF care, stroke, sepsis screening, and then we just did a pediatric seizure management. Um, and for example, with pediatric seizure management, the evidence-based medicine learning point is on the development of clinical guidelines and evidence-based guidelines. And so they read a series of papers which on which initial clinical guidelines were based. They read papers that look at the implementation and the fault of implementation of those guidelines and how things have been modified and then critically appraise our own state protocols in light of what is considered best practice, and then apply that to a series of clinical scenarios about why they would do one thing versus the other based on the evidence, including things, you know, like you don't need to check a blood sugar while the baby is still seizing because one in a thousand will have hypoglycemia, treat the seizure, and then check the blood sugar if they don't come back to normal, things like that. But I want them to understand where those things come from. But in that they read the primary literature. It really sounds like you're doing what adult learners really desire and what motivates them, which is the why behind everything. Why are we doing this? And if you're starting with literally the history of of how that clinical guideline got written, they're not only kind of starting to understand and comprehend what those are based on, but then you even said that they move on to the highest level of higher order thinking, which is evaluation, where you're evaluating the state protocols for their efficacy or for how well they're written or if something needs to be changed. We all know that protocols are only good as the people who write them, and sometimes we need to amend them. So kudos on that. Let me ask you that question, though, Hillary. The same question. But first, Maya, Happy belated National Doctors' Day from all of us. Yes. Thank you. Fabulous. I didn't send you a card, but I absolutely thought of you. So from the from the guys in the office, happy belated Doctors' Day. Hillary, let me throw that question at you, though, because obviously you are an educator of some renown. You're a triple threat, firefighter, paramedic, educator, school teacher. You've been in the classroom for most of your professional career. So what's your answer? I started teaching high school in my first uh, years as an educator. And the difference between teaching high school students or teenagers and adults is profound. I remember the very first time that I did a continuing education lesson with my colleagues in the fire department. I was brand new, but of course I volunteered to teach and I was teaching some continuing ed to some salty old firemen who I love. And In the classroom, I got worried that my style or my approach or my insistence that they participate would be off-putting. And it ended up being terrific because I engaged them from the beginning and said to them, I need your expertise and your input, and I need you to be active learning while we're while we're talking through this topic and I'm going to call on you even if you don't raise your hand and there was a bit of a silence in the room but afterwards one of my veteran firefighter EMTs came up to me kind of punched me in the arm and said good job Hill that was a really good idea to get us involved and we bought into it and they did I think too often Maya's point about 
teaching the why behind something, um, especially with evidence-based medicine, is left off and you just are sort of drilling your students on the protocol without telling them what, what it's for or why it was created. And so to get that buy-in, you really have to be able to ask them to think more deeply than just memorization and really analyze and evaluate. I would like to hear, Benji, what you do with either research or evidence-based medicine or FOMED podcasts. What kinds of things are you doing? Give us some examples that we can R&D, that we can rip off and duplicate in our own classrooms. Oh, absolutely. You can rip off anything we do. That's how we figure out what works and what doesn't work. One of the things that we most recently did with our classes is we implemented teach-back presentations where they get into a group of each other uh, within that classroom and they have a topic that they have to present on. At this point, I haven't let them have the free reign of picking any topic out there to try to guide this a little bit more back towards their education. But most recently in their airway portion of class, we incorporated the hot off the press NAEMSP airway compendium. And we had four or five different groups that picked one of those articles out of there to bring back. And I gave them the free reign with it of saying, you go in there digging through this article. I want you to look at what statistics they're bringing, what best practices they're bringing to the table. And whatever you figure out in there, I want you to bring that back to the classroom just as if they've never, ever read that before. It seemed like the students really did enjoy it. And that material sticks. We've done teachbacks before with some prior classes. And it's amazing how sometimes that material sticks better coming from another student than it does from an instructor, which goes back to one of the things you were saying originally of, I'm worried about getting up in front of the, the group of people and being engaged and them adapting to my learning style. And sometimes as educators, we have to realize that we're not the best one there to give them this material at that time. And that could be from a peer or that could be from another subject matter expert, but we don't hold all the keys. Somebody else might be able to do this better. There's the humility from Benji right there. Let's talk about that. Subject matter experts. We can't be all for all, right? So we got to bring people in, but we can't always bring in a live human being. Zoom has helped us with this. And there are other ways that we can bring those subject matter experts in. Maya, can you talk a little bit about that? I think this is the perfect tie-in to things like podcasts and podcasts and, you know, review articles and really like the airway compendium was a group of subject matter experts getting together to say, what do they think is best practice? And what is the evidence or lack thereof that we have for that? And I think the other aspect of that is it's about having access to subject matter experts, but also to await a range of different perspectives. Because I think sometimes People are just sort of comfortable with one perspective, you know, like that's the way we've always done it or so-and-so taught it this way. But what's really important is that they're going to be exposed to sort of all different ways about thinking about a problem or dissecting a problem. And at some point they need to sort of decide what has the best evidence, how to adapt that to their own practice and apply it when taking care of their patients. And so when I think about how do I get people to sort of learn sort of different perspectives or hear something that's often different than mine or from an expert analyzing a paper in a different way than I've talked about it, I think this is one way to bring podcasts and blog posts and other things like that within to the classroom um, because we can talk about sort of some of the, the dangers of that where I think you have to teach them how to appraise quality. But I also think that learning how to appraise quality is setting them up with the life skill to be a lifelong learner regardless, right? Like 
Some of that stuff is not going to be ideal. Some of it is going to oversimplify issues. But if you give them the opportunity to use that for their education and highlight that for their education, it opens up the chance to have the conversations about why something is actually oversimplifying issue or why something is actually a really good dissection of the issue or to debate sort of the different perspectives about caring for patients. Benji, when you bring in things like the airway compendium, are your students intimidated by that research language and by all those big words like sensitivity and specificity? Or how do you break it down for them? I definitely think there's some intimidation for it. But even for me, as far as intimidation goes for it this year, in my current class, I have a student who has a PhD in neuroscience. And here I am teaching bits of psychology to a PhD in neuroscience and uh, who can probably break down these articles way better than I ever could. I try to help them get through to digestible nuggets of information. People can often get lost in the weeds on the numbers because it's just a lot in front of them. But what's the take home? Uh, and I think a lot of these articles do that we incorporate do a really good job of in the conclusion sections or the discussion sections of really explaining this to them to where you don't have to dig into the graph and know every implement of that graph or that chart that's on the screen. Really find what's the, what's the take home piece for that and, and how do we apply it to what we do? Just like with the airway compendium of kind of a compare and contrast between this best practice. And I think uh, I heard Ratu Sani say this in one of his podcasts of talking about This came out, and this is a group of people who came to the table and said, this is the best practice. This is the standard that should be expected. Well, our textbooks don't match up to that standard. And even now, I think the current paramedic text that we use in our our program, it's due to get updated, but it still has AHA guidelines from the last series But that's the most up-to-date paramedic textbook that they can have access to. And we have to, as educators, say this was it, but this is now what we're doing with things like the airway compendium, teaching things like salad within the class, and then using other subject matter experts. You brought up a couple of ways of using things. My first year, just kind of give a history on it, my first year as a program director and a lead instructor for a paramedic program was 2020. Yes, it was terrible at times. We started in January of 2020. I started in my job full-time in January of 2020. And then by the end of March in South Carolina, we were all booted out of the classroom for a period of time. So not only am I trying to scramble a class together, but we're trying to scramble good material. And then, oh, here's this thing called Zoom that you've never, ever used before. Now you have to use this every day for your lectures. And my plans of, you always have a primary plan of what you want to do. And then you have this backup plan. I think I was down to like the third or fourth backup plan by the time we made it to teaching. You were like criking your class. (laughs) Oh man, it was, this was awful. I was looking for people to help out and I'm trying to just kind of keep this ship floating at the moment. And folks that came through for me, just reaching out and trying to do intros to ultrasound. Well, how on earth do you do an introduction to ultrasound in a virtual environment? Well, Tyler Christofoli came to the table and said, hey, I'm going to come and do this class via Zoom for you guys. And he spent about an hour and a half with my class and they loved it to where even a virtual environment can be engaging for them. 
other people that got involved in it. I used Dr. Leslie Osborne uh, from Texas. She actually was one of the residents here at my local hospital whenever I was still working on the truck and had made that connection with her. So she came in and talked about their whole blood program via Zoom from in Texas. And we're in South Carolina because I'm not the expert to talk about those things. You don't want me talking about ultrasound. You don't want me talking about what whole blood in the field looks like because I've not done that. Let's hear from the people that do do that. Benji, that's exactly the sentiment we heard from Refresh 2021. Now, at the time of doing this, Refresh has now sunsetted. The sunset has now gone on Refresh, and we have tens of thousands of folk have gone through that, I'm delighted to say, in million over a million class hours. But one of the biggest comments was, actually, we've got the real subject matter expert talking to me, not my class, but me because of the virtue of Zoom. And uh, I think we have... Not many things to thank COVID for, but perhaps this has been one of them, that we, you get the subject matter expert in your room talking to you. And of course, this is why we're here. We're trying to exploit all of the social media and the media that's out there in order to give us you know, the best information from the best people that we can get. And uh, I think you know, it's the one thing. I think I'm going to have one thing I thank COVID for today. That was it. I was going to say, I think COVID forced us to innovate as educators and to think about how we needed to be more engaging and to really help our students truly become adult learners. Because I think that in many ways we thought we were doing that, but we didn't have the feedback to realize that we weren't, that we weren't really being as engaging as we thought we were, that we weren't giving them the skills to learn on their own and find that information on their own because they'd sort of come to class and be a butt in the seat. And, and we'd hope that would happen. And then when we took out sort of the social interaction or we did things differently, it forced us to really become creative and say, what matters the most? Like, how do I get learning points across in all these different ways? And you know, that's when we started implementing like some video review. That's when we started actually doing our case reviews in a virtual format where we thought about ways to put in some sort of decision-making principles that people really had to engage in that they really weren't doing before. Um, so, I mean, I agree. There's not a lot to COVID for, but I think it sort of pushed all the educators out of their comfort zone into their zone of proximal development and made us grow. And for me, there's also, I did stop getting my CME from in-person conferences for a few years, you know, like, and I couldn't sit through an entire virtual conference. I just couldn't do it, but I can get a lot of CME from things like podcasts and that were really sort of supplementing. I'd listened to some before and obviously like, I listen to a lot of EMS podcasts to sort of keep up with the research, but even for my own continuing education as an emergency physician, I've expanded the things I listen to because they keep me sort of up to date on those other things. They make me sort of ask additional questions. They make me think about things I haven't thought about in a long time that I'm grateful for from that perspective. I agree. Maybe we can talk about some of the kind of mediums in detail in a second, but before we go any further, let's just pause to listen to a message from our sponsor at EMS Gives Life. Hello, I'm Christine Fichter, the Executive Director of EMS Gives Life. At EMS Gives Life, our mission is simple. We educate the EMS first responder community on how to become a living organ or bone marrow donor and then provide support if you choose to give this gift of life. 
Our organization was inspired by Pro-EMS paramedic Will Lindbergh's selfless decision to anonymously donate a portion of his liver, saving the life of a three-year-old boy. We know our community is full of heroes who perform life-saving acts every day. It is this heroism and selflessness that we're counting on. More than 6,000 people die each year on the transplant waiting list. Deceased donors are simply not enough. Living organ donors are desperately needed, and our community is up for the challenge. Would you consider being a living donor if you had the support you needed and the assurance that you would go to the top of the list if you ever needed a transplant in the future? Through our partnerships, we can make those promises. If you're curious about living organ or bone marrow donation, let's talk. And if you're already a living donor, we'd love to hear your story. You can find us at emsgiveslife.org. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. And don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Amazon Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you're enjoying the show, Please take a moment on the platform you're on to rate and review us because we love your five stars, don't we, Hillary? We do, we do. We want to hear from you, folks, not only on social media, but with any type of feedback you have for the show. And uh, let us know what you want us to talk about if we haven't touched on those topics yet. We're really having a good time with the EMS Educator Podcast and hope that the material is helpful to you. One of the things I know as an instructor, as a teacher, as an educator is that when there are days that you're not feeling so energetic or you're a little bit behind in your lesson planning, it's always great to be able to grab someone else's proven great idea, lesson plan, and use it in your own classroom. So let's talk a little bit about that. One of the things Benji mentioned that is so important is that the material that we're using is not necessarily the most up-to-date, textbooks especially. And so there are ways that we can make sure that the material we're using is indeed reflecting the latest science research and best practice. We had a wonderful comment on social media from Bill Leggio about something he does in his classroom, which reminds me of my U.S. history class in 10th grade, which is a current events assignment. And he asks his students to bring in something that's happening in the world of EMS, a current event that they have found either on a podcast or an article or a website. And it helps what, in his opinion, it helps the students really humanize the content because they not only have to teach it to their fellow students, but it usually probably involves some aspect of medicine that is actually personal or in the affective domain. We focus a lot as educators on the cognitive domain and on the psychomotor domain, but we don't always really ask our students, how do you feel about this? What are your emotions around this? What types of things go through your head when you are intubating? Not just what does the hand position feel like, or did you actually get the tube and the cords, but really digging into what's happening in that person's soul. Another thing we heard on social media was that there are educators not only using podcasts that other folks have posted, but actually asking their students to make their own podcasts. I don't know if they're actually publishing them, but they're using them in the classroom. What a great medium to ask your students to share their thoughts. Just the physical act of speaking about something that you've done can help you process that information. And it can help you again with that uh, affective domain. We heard from Sahaj Khalsa. We heard from Kelly Kohler, two great educators who asked their students to record podcasts and then play them for each other in the classroom. Sahaj talked about using these to review their clinical rotations. Think about that for a second how rich that clinical rotation is in terms of what a person could report on when they come back. But do they always have an opportunity to 
talk about their clinical rotation? Probably not. If you give them a five or 10 minute recording assignment and ask them to make a podcast out of it, tell us what you felt, tell us a fun story, tell us a tip you learned, how were you prepared, how were you not prepared, that can really get them to cement some of the knowledge that they learned on that site. Maya, what other ideas did we see on social media? Did I miss any? I think that was a lot of it. And I think the the idea of creating a course with no textbook, there's some paramedic programs who no longer have a textbook. Shocking. I think that you can debate that in many ways, but I think fundamentally, whether or not you have a textbook or not, you can't only have a textbook and you can't only have those particular, you know, slides prepared, ugh, which are sort of my peeve uh, from the textbook, because you're not going to be teaching what's up to date, nor are you going to be teaching them how to find what's up to date because things are going to change so rapidly over the course of their hopefully longer years in EMS. And the other thing is getting information in all different ways. One of the the commentaries was from Mel Kolmitz, which was exciting to see because she actually works at one of my agencies. She's a PA who is a paramedic. So she still practices as a paramedic, but is a PA and actually educates in the PA program. And she says a theory of learning styles has been debunked in a lot of ways, but you still have to acknowledge that people learn in different ways. And I think giving people sort of a multi-rounded way of incorporating information is still extraordinarily useful. So one of the things that I try and do is For example, like using Ginger Locke's Medic Mindset Thinking Series. And really for the first time this year, I've done it more consistently. So we have, you know, scenario days. And I don't keep it a secret what the general topic is. You know, there's cardiology scenarios or respiratory scenarios. And I will assign them to listen to the Thinking Series episode prior to the scenario days. And the idea is that I want to instill in their mind that what I'm interested in is how they approach a problem, right? Like how do they sort of take what they see as far as their assessment and add objective data and then decide on a treatment plan, right? Which is clinical judgment. How do they do that? The fact that the pre-assignment is all about how do you approach the problem and how do you think through the problem, I think is powerful in establishing that. But I've also found that they're sort of more prepared. Like we had a bronchiolitis scenario and, you know, they listened to Joel D'Onofrio's episode and there was not a single student who didn't suction the snot like aggressively <laughs> from the very beginning. And, and the key is, I think I could have given a lecture about pediatric respiratory distress and talked about the importance of the fact that they're like clearing the the nasal passages. And that is actually an airway management intervention for a young child with bronchiolitis. But I don't think I could do it as effectively as Joelle did it in that episode. And I don't think that they would have focused in on it as much because it was a really important point. And it's something that they consistently got out of it. And then, right, they had the chance using spaced repetition to apply that in a real scenario in a way that I think really made it concrete in their minds. Benji, you mentioned to us that you've also used medic mindset. What does that look like in your classroom? So for now, one of the things we do is incorporate it within our learning management system for the school and uh, assign it as a homework. Like they've got an upcoming one with not just medic mindset. They're also using Montgomery County, did uh, a podcast as well, using some of their pieces. 
I think the one that I actually have coming up with medic mindsets with J.R. Pickett about bradycardia. And then there's another one about shortness of breath as well that we're integrating into it. Benji, his latest is abdominal pain, I think. And there's a video of it as well. If you want to see the shenanigans of Ginger and J.R. White Tiger. And I need to use this moment to say that you can get CE for these podcasts from Medic Mindset on Prodigy. Great partnership that we're really proud of. Go ahead, Benji. Yeah, it's those are just some of the podcasts that we use. Back to one of the things I heard in my essay earlier of learning theory of debunking some of that. And one of the books I recently went through was Make It Stick. Uh, that's talking about the science of successful learning. I'm not a reader. And I got into that and loved it. And whenever I came to the phrase, I had to pull it up while you were talking and said, when instructional style matches the nature of the content that's being presented, all learners learn better, regardless of their differing preferences on how the material is taught. And podcasts appeal to the people that we're seeing in class now. Not sitting in a classroom for eight hours a day appeals to the people that we have. EMS is a little bit of a, a conundrum at time with the people that we are educating because you might have the fresh out of high school person sitting right next to the person who is either your age or could be your mom or dad trying to pick up this level of education. And so you've got to figure out ways to engage all of those people. And at times you're not going to make everybody happy. That's that's okay. But is the material being mastered and understood? There's something very intimate about a podcast, isn't there? Ginger says that a lot, that those earbuds or whatever you're listening to really feels like you're sitting there with that person and listening to them in a much different way, like Maya mentioned, than standing in front of a classroom and preaching to a choir, so to speak. So if you're on the truck and you've got those earphones in right now and you can hear my voice talking to you, get in touch with us and let us know about the things that you're using to uh, actually improve your learning, whether it's podcasts, as I say, podcasts. A podcast, of course, is a video cast, and we're involved with some of those, Hillary, as well, right? Right. We have a great vodcast. It was a, a trifecta partnership. That's not a word. It's a uh, triple... It's an American word. Yeah, never mind. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Three people, Peter Antevi, David Spiro, and Mark Peel, all amazing physician educators came together to say, let's do some video case review with live video. And we are using video from body cams that some EMS agencies are wearing and from Real DX, David Spiro's company. And we're doing a live case review. Mai's been joining the last couple of episodes, and it's just an incredible educational opportunity. And as I said earlier, educators out there, when you're feeling like you don't have a subject matter expert or you want to really enhance something that you're discussing, whether it be trauma or airway or pediatric seizure or death notifications or whatever they are, get into these vodcasts because you could show these videos to your class, either live or later recorded. They're on YouTube. And you can kind of get your finger on the mouse and get ready to to click play and pause and go through the case the same way the audience does as if you were there. You can highlight certain things. You can rewind. You could you could even ask, back to what Benji said about teachbacks, you could ask your students to chunk the material and take maybe 10 or 15 minute segments of that video, really dive into what happened in those 10 or 15 minutes, and then teach it to the class using the video. What are the highlights? What are the takeaways? What are the 
examples and non-examples? What are the things that we realize from those 15 minutes that are important to learn? And then instead of feeling overwhelmed, perhaps by an assignment that takes an, uh, an hour long video into play, you're only asking your students to do 10 or 15 minutes in small groups. That was something that back in the day when I taught high school and was teaching things like Shakespeare plays, it became very clear that a play should be played. And so I would march over to the library and borrow the tape recorder. Yes, that's how old I am. And bring it back into my classroom and have Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor play the Shakespeare rather than my students reading it. And pressing play and pause and stopping to talk about certain sentences and rewinding and discussing iambic pentameter or whatever it is that needed to be discussed is a way that you can slow down the learning and really highlight the things that need to be highlighted. That was amazing, Hillary. So friends, Romans and EMTs, lend her your ears. Okay. <laughs> but actually, one of the other things about the vodcast is, and I think Maya, you touched on this before, you know, when I watched Real Emergency from Real DX, of course, you also get the feeling and how would I feel if I'm conducting this particular procedure? How do I feel by watching that particular procedure? And of course, how am I feeling when I see the reaction of the person actually in the moment? And uh, I think that that really kind of helps you understand a little bit more than just the, you know, the, the textbook solution. You know, there's a real human being here and you've got to react to that too. And, and I think that comes across really well by being able to watch it. And also, I think they're also podcasts. You can actually, if you don't want to watch it, you can listen to it, right? Exactly. I think the power of the video there is, so when I think from the perspective of an educator and really what the challenge of paramedic education is, is that I have to prepare in an exceedingly short period of time, somebody to walk into an unexpected situation, work through a differential, be able to make prioritized actions. To do that, they need to have mental schema, right? They have to be able to recognize, is this situation familiar to me? Um, so if people want to go do some reading, it's Gary Klein, Sources of Power, Recognition, Prime Decision Making, right? Which is naturalistic decision making in sort of high stakes situations. And how do we do that? And the challenge from the perspective of paramedic education is how do I expose them to things that they may never see during their clinical training, but which they need to recognize and act in the field? And the refinement of mental schema, it's actually really hard for our experts to teach, right? Because it's like, how do you know they're sick? I'm like, I don't know, they're just sick. But really, it's about breaking down the work of breathing, the skin color, the other things, sort of all those cues that you naturally, once you're an expert, sort of take and have a sense of what is going on with the patient through the general impression. The power of being able to use sort of these videos, one, is that it allows you to actually break down and make people really deliberately say like, yeah, that guy looks sick. Why? What are the different components? What is your brain using? information-wise to actually make that as a conclusion? And how does this kind of sick look different from this kind of sick, right? Like what is the altered mental status sick versus the respiratory distress sick versus the respiratory failure now altered mental status sick look like? And video lets you do that. But I think the power of also things like those case reviews and those discussions is that there's different perspectives, right? Like not all the, the docs, the participants, the paramedics agree on what the next choice is, and they talk about what your options are in that particular situation. And I think understanding the 
the point of local rationality, right? Like we analyze things saying like, did we make the right decision given the information that we had? And I think it's really important for people to understand that the right decision is not always crystal clear, but really you need to have like good logic for why you made the decision that you did and move forward with that. And so if you're just one instructor in a classroom talking about a case, you're bringing your singular perspective to that. You know, if it's one preceptor talking about their case, they're bringing their singular perspective to that. But when you can talk about a case together with people with different expertise, different backgrounds, I think you make people understand that a lot of what we do is gray, which is really important, one, so that they don't have sort of black and white thinking, that they have a a broad perspective that they bring to every patient. But the other thing that they understand that you can have a bad outcome with good logic. And your responsibility when things go poorly or even when they things go well is to sit back and analyze, like, why did you do the things that you do? And do I need to sort of refine my mental schema going forward? That's how they're going to develop expertise because, right, when they finish our programs, they're minimally competent. They're not, you know, despite what employers want, which is like somebody I can put by themselves, biggest <laughs> person in the county and the ranks, like, That is not what a paramedic program creates, right? It creates somebody who's minimally competent. And our program and then our continuing education programs, right, really need to give people the skills to continue to grow as clinicians. So that's why I like those. I love the real emergency cases. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I'm glad I didn't have to take care of this person. I would have pooped my pants, right? But I have to watch somebody else do it. But I think the key thing is that it exposes those signs and the the differing perspectives, which is what I think the power of like the open access medical education, the rest of it is, is that there are different perspectives and there's very few things that are when patients are sick or not sick, like black and white answers. That's what Benji said earlier of having the humility to know what you should be and shouldn't be teaching. And leveraging all of the awesomeness of the internet and multimedia and vodcasts and podcasts to use other folks to bring those other perspectives and allow your students to hear that it's not just you in the classroom and that there are other people out there who might have better ideas, different ideas, or even worse ideas, but whatever they are, we got to talk about them. Rob? My, what you said there was really profound that, you know, the paramedic course creates actually the beginner, not the expert. And the continuing education then brings on that expertise and that experience and that ability to look at how others are doing it. And I think, you know, you made an amazing point there that I'm certainly going to take away and and use. And uh, everything that we're doing now with the medium that we have is going to make us more experts in our practice. And I think that's, uh, you make an excellent point. And uh, I don't know whether you realized that you were saying that to me, but that's what I heard. And I think it's a brilliant point. Well made. Yeah, it's a big thing with developing that lifelong learner coming out of paramedic school. It's one thing to produce that minimally competent paramedic. That's what we sign off on as minimal competency. And I personally hate saying minimal competency because I feel like we put out a product that's probably more than that. But that's where we're starting at and that we're scratching the surface of their education. And if we're not preparing them to get involved in other methods, whether that's through open access, medical education, uh, listening to podcasts, we're not setting them up for success in their future because they're not going to get the education they need from their services or their training officer they need something more than that. Well said. Agreed. And of course, 
now that we have the ability, if we want to talk salad, we can dial up Ducanto. If we want to talk peds, we can dial up, you know, Antivy or indeed, uh, indeed Joel. And by the way, I've just got to plug the fact that coming up at Pinnacle later on in the year, Joel, I and the great Jedi Tegman are doing the Shark Tank Innovation Incubator. So uh, come and join us for that. We did it last year. It was an amazing amount of fun where we talk about some good ideas in EMS. But uh, anyway, you can dial it all up. It's there now, and that will help us improve our practice. I think this has been an incredible show for all of us to talk through what it is we've learned in the classroom, not only as learners or as students, but also as educators. Again, we at the EMS Educator Podcast want to share far and wide these tenets of FOMED and allow us to have these discussions where we don't reinvent the wheel, but we have great ideas for using things like podcasts, vodcasts. We tap into experts who can help us teach concepts. We want you to watch the Real Emergency Vodcast. We want you to listen to Medic Mindset to Montgomery County Hospital District. We want you to go over to the PCRF podcasts that Dave Page and Remley Crow and Megan Corey run to show us how to read research. The PEC podcasts and the But Why podcasts coming out of uh, NAMSP with Dr. Phil Moy. There are just numerous opportunities for us to really bring in experts, well-spoken educators, and uh, folks who can give us that extra perspective. We at Prodigy are going to continue in our tradition of bringing the best quality education to you. And we are going to be starting a program called the Prodigy EMS Bounty Program. We are on the hunt, wanted your best presentations. We will pay you what you're worth. We will pay you $1,000 for one hour of content to bring us the best content that we can offer to our educators, to our students, to all of our folks who are out there getting continuing ed. So stay tuned for the announcement about the Prodigy EMS Bounty Program. Rob, over to you to wrap it up. Thank you. Yes. And just to continue with what Hillary said, one of the things we've discussed and one of the themes is there's many, many, many experts out there. And if you're one of those experts, we really, really want to hear from you right now because we want to put you on the platform so you can share far and wide. And if you think about where we have just been with Refresh, each one of our Refresh instructors actually lectured Hillary to a class of about 30,000 each. Think about that. Like a soccer stadium. I mean, sorry, football, football stadium. A football stadium or American football stadium. Yes, indeed. We had to get that English versus Americanism in before we left. Yep. I was yep. I was thinking I might have got away with it, but I didn't. No chance. Anyway, let's uh, go for the close, as Hillary said. So first of all, Benji, if we want to get in touch with you, how can we do that? I'll give you my personal email. It's Benji McCollum, B-E-N-J-I. M-C-C-O-L-L-U-M at gmail.com. Excellent. And Maya? Uh, you can email me at Maya Dorset, M-A-I-A-D-O-R-S-E-T-T at gmail.com or contact me via Twitter, which is also, I'm not very creative, at Maya Dorset, same spelling. Keep it simple. That's what we say. Uh, Hillary? I'm on Twitter at Gates Hill, H-I-L-1-L, and Hillary at ProdigyEMS.com. That's Hillary with one L. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and also at UKRobL1. We're all out there in the social media world. We're out there every day. We're tweeting. We're retweeting. We are promoting best practice everywhere we go. And really, that's been the theme of today's show is that uh, there's tons of best practice out there. There's tons of ways that you can incorporate the various social platforms that I discussed at the top of the show into your classroom. 
And please make sure you do. And also, one of the other things we want to mention before we go is you've heard us talk about other podcasters, other podcasts. We at Prodigy aren't actually precious about who you listen to. We just want you to listen. We want you to learn. And we want you to actually improve. And that's really what we're about. So all of our other friends in the podcast sphere, we love you all. And uh, we look forward to hearing what you produce next. So from all of us here at the EMS Educator Podcast, for this time, it's a bye for now.